Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Amen. So take your Bibles, open them to the book of Romans, chapter 8, in a Bible study that I've entitled, What Do I Do With My Past? What do I do with my past? Now we've learned already, and what a relief it is to know that we are not condemned in Jesus Christ. So just like being in this building, there are benefits to being in this building. And as we learned before, it's a very easy thing to, to think through. We are either in this building or we're not in this building. And as we process that, we recognize that today we, will, we can also say we are either in Christ or we're not in Christ. And that born-again believer is in Christ. And there are many benefits to being in Christ. Some of you asked for an email me uh, the various truths that are in the scriptures about being in Christ. And here are just a few of them on that list. According to Romans chapter 3, we've been justified freely in Christ. In Romans chapter 6 verse 11, we are now dead to sin. This is a very powerful truth because now our life, we have now within us, residing in us, the power to live apart from sin. Whereas before we were born again, all we did was sin. We were dead. The Bible says we were dead in our trespasses and sins. But now in Christ, we are now dead to sin. No longer dead in sin. That's powerful. In Romans chapter 6 verse 23, we have eternal life in Christ. In Romans chapter 8 verse 39, we'll never be separated from God's love in Christ. In Romans chapter 12 verse 5, I'm now a part of a new family a new body of believers. You know, literally you can go anywhere around the world, meet another believer, and immediately be connected on a deeper level than ever before. Why? Because you're in Christ. They're in Christ. And now you're connected spiritually. Even if you don't speak their language, even if you don't understand their culture, in Christ we are together in unity with every believer around the world. Romans chapter 15 verse 8, we now have a new hope in Christ. Romans chapter 15, verse 17. We have reason to glory now in Christ. Literally, we have a reason to live. The purpose of God is revealed to us in Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. We are set apart, and God is literally changing our lives, even now, in Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. We're a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. And the list goes on and on and on. If you haven't gotten that list yet, you should email me. I'll send you a copy of the PDF. Because in Christ, our sins have been forgiven. They've been judged. Past, present, and future. Like Isaiah says in Isaiah 44. We realize this in Christ. That I have blotted out like a thick cloud your transgressions. And like a cloud your sins. David says in Psalm 103 verse 10. That he has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. Because as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. And now in Romans chapter 8 verse 1, another glorious truth as we learn once again. There is therefore, and you have this circled, right? Now. 
in this moment, every time you read this, every time you meditate on it, every time you think it, now in this moment. And so if you think it in a second, it's that moment. And another second, it's every time I repeat it, there is now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now some of you in the New King James, you'll notice a little asterisk there because in different, in different sets of manuscripts, this phrase is there and in some manuscripts it's not. But I believe it's a very powerful truth for the manuscripts that it is included in because you truly experience this truth when you're walking in the Spirit. It's true when you're not walking in the Spirit. There is no condemnation from God. But when we're not in the Spirit and in the flesh, what do we do? We heap loads of condemnation upon ourselves and we beat ourselves up. And we often don't need anyone else to do it to us. We're often our own worst critic and our own worst condemner. But even if we are able to walk strong, there's always the enemy of our souls accusing and trying to condemn us and throw a charge against us. But in Christ, there's freedom and safety. And yet, for many listening, there's this constant shadow in my life. In your life and mine. I, it, it definitely is in my life. And that is my past. I'm not proud of my past. And we can often get a, a laugh out of it. Uh, we can often get a, an applause that, that we're not in our past anymore and that we're born again. But I'm not proud of my past. I don't like it. Uh, if I had the choice, you know, there's always that philosophical, theoretical question. If you could do anything to change your past, would you do it? And of course the answer is, yeah, I would want to avoid a lot of the sinful pain. I would not want to hurt people like I did. I, I can go on and on and list, but, but then the answer is, but at the same time, I am who I am today as a culmination of my past. And so if it meant changing my past and not being where I am today, then no, I just, really the answer is, it's kind of a trick question. The really answer is, I, I just accept my life as from the Lord. And, and I wish a big sec section of it I wasn't there. Um, part, of, part of my past involving drugs and alcohol has really messed with my memory. And so in one, size of that, in one side of that is I don't remember a lot of my past. But I also have a lot of friends and a lot of people that sometimes remind me of my past. And they don't do it on purpose. Uh, they just do it because, hey, do you remember this story? You remember that story? And I'm like, no, man. I, I don't remember it, and I actually don't want to hear it. Well, let me tell you, you know, and, uh, and then we can hear the story, and we can go, man, and it really is a testimony that, man, God has done a work, and there's no question whatsoever uh, in my life that God has done a work in my life, and I, and I don't know what your past is. Some of you don't have that more difficult of a past, and I, I just want you to rejoice that you don't have the kind of past that maybe I have. I want you to be really happy about that. Sometimes those that were raised in a godly home or even those that weren't raised in a godly home but because of the circumstances of their family really chose a moral path in their life. They really really chose to do the right thing. You, you were surrounded by people in your family. You go, man, I don't want to copy that. I don't want. So you really chose until you came to Christ and then, then you were born again and you're like, yeah, it was all worth it or you were born in a Christian home and people start sharing testimonies because most, you know, most of our church we come from really back, back, bad backgrounds. And so you hear a testimony and you're like, well, you look at your own life and you go, if I was asked to share a testimony, I don't really have much of one. That is not true. You have a great testimony 
that along the way with all the temptations that came your way, you were able in the strength of the Lord or even of the resolve of your decision to do the right thing, said no to a lot of bad temptations along the way. And your temptation is that you weren't delivered through, from, you weren't delivered through trials or difficulties or sin, you were actually delivered from it and you didn't have to go through it. So either way, wherever your past is, we're all touched by sin. And we all have difficulties. If, if it's a, a bad situation where there was no hope for you or it was a very good situation where you were raised in a godly home, there are those, the, the, one of the areas that the enemy will use in your life is to use your past against you. Use the way your dad treated you. Use the way your mom spoke to you. Use the, the, the attitude that you, how you spoke and treated to people. And our past has a way of following us I remember the first time my past and my criminal record was used uh, in, in the mistakes that I made under the influence that I didn't get a job because of my past. And they had run my background and I'd put down, I was, and I remember telling the man, I am a born again Christian, I do not live that way anymore. And he says, well, we don't hire thieves here. And that was it. He didn't even give me a chance to say, I haven't, I haven't taken anything. I could have took your watch, but I left it there. No, I didn't do that. <laughs> See, I told you, we can get a little bit of a laugh from it, but, but it was devastating to me. It was devastating to me because even if, I, even if I glory and rejoice in the new work of Jesus Christ, and he is very quick to forgive us, our world is not so quick to forgive or forget. And we need to learn how to navigate as a believer in Jesus Christ in a world, even if it's the world of our own mind that our past follows us, taunts us, pulls on us, and even condemns us. And everyone has a past. And yours may not be as bad as mine, but I'm certain that every one of us listening in have something that you wish you could wipe clean and you wish wasn't a part of your testimony to make it disappear or erase it permanently. But that's where Romans chapter eight, verse one comes into our lives. Because no matter what comes to mind, there is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ. Your past included. There is no condemnation for your past. However, living with the reality of a past, the question remains, and it's a good biblical question, what do I do with my past? And I have three things I want to share with you today of what you can practically do with your past when it comes up, when it's remembered, and perhaps even when it's used against you. What do I do with my past? The first one, number one, is you forget your past. You forget your past. Turn over to Philippians chapter 3, a passage we've been meditating on as a church this year. Philippians chapter 3, draw your attention to verse 12. What do we do with our past? We forget it. We forget it. Philippians 3.12 says, Not that I've already attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, and mark that word, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things that are ahead, I press toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. 
Forgetting those things that are behind, I press forward. Now, I know that this sounds too simplistic, but it only is simplistic if you approach it that way. Where you look and you go, I don't think I can forget my past. Well, in forgetting your past, this is not the idea of erasing a mental memory. It is a conscious choice to move forward. We forget the past by releasing the past and reaching for the future. Did you hear that? We forget the past by releasing the past and reaching forward for the future. Because you know you can't reach forward if you're still hanging on to the past. You're not going to make progress if you choose to always hold on to the past. Paul says, I forget those things in the past and I press on and I press toward the goal. Next to it, you know, in Philippians chapter 2, if you're still there, or excuse me, in chapter 3, if you're still there, right next to pressing on, running swiftly. The idea is moving fast and going after it. That's what Paul did. He ran swiftly away from his past and swiftly toward the goal of Jesus Christ. You have to forget the past. You have to forget the past. But you say, Ed, I can't. I can't do what you're asking. But I say to you, in Christ, you can And even as I share a little bit of my own testimony, I share it with not as an anchor of my life, but of the reality of where God has delivered me. My past has a perspective now. I'm not proud of it, nor do I choose to dwell in it. But I'll tell you this, if God can use the delivering power that he's demonstrated in my life in comparison to my past, then I will continue to share it for the sake of deliverance in other people's lives. Because I can't help but think that someone listening in here that is in great bondage. And what happens in great bondage is you just don't believe you'll be delivered. You can't see the possibility. You don't even have a concept of how life could be different. And then a guy comes along and says, you know what? I mean, this happened with me. I remember, I remember distinctly. I can remember it as clear as possible, listening to the radio first and then on cassette tapes, the testimony of Pastor Raul Reese. I can hear it in his voice. I can remember where I was sitting and I can remember the freedom that was being spoken into my life through the word of God, through a man who was worse than me. Who was going farther than I was. That his testimony was where I was headed had God not intervened. I was up ahead. And as I'm listening to him, I'm like, Man, if God can do that to this guy, then maybe, I didn't fully believe it, but it put me on the path of maybe he can do that in my life and just began to speak hope. And you know, the worst counselor in your life is actually not a friend and and is not that person that might even be giving you back. You know, the first counselor in your life tends to be you. Do you know you talk to yourself more than anyone? And that's not a weird thing. We all have. We all have voices and we all reason with ourselves. We all think through things. We, we have discussions with ourselves that is in no way unhealthy. The only problem is, is that when we get to that mode, we then have a choice either to counsel ourselves with the word of God and the truths of God or our own understanding. And certainly we know that We make great mistakes when we begin to talk to ourselves not having the word of God open or the word of God speaking to us. You have to forget the past. 
And I've found the only times I can forget my past is in the moments that I choose to dwell on my future. I can't think about two things at the same, same time. And when I'm meditating on the scriptures, day and night, like Joshua was told, I find myself enraptured in the potential that God wants to do in my life. How he wants to continue to grow me. If I, I look at some of the circumstances that are in my life currently, that my past could be yesterday, or last week, or five and a half years ago, if I choose to dwell in those moments, then I'm, I'll tell you, I am sunk. You ever been there? Not my stuff, but your stuff. Yes or no? Yeah, I'm sunk. Depression, discouragement, sorrow, feeling sorry for myself, pity, are always a decision away. And they're not from the Lord. And they come from a weight of condemnation and not accepting and enjoying God's will for my life. And glorying in who he is. Not just what I have or what I don't have. And when I choose to play it over and over again in my mind, it'll bury me. If it was an argument, if this, if, if this discussion was an argument, you think of all the things that you have said or would have said, but you can't say those things because it's done. You know, when you're in the midst of something and you end up ending it on bad note and then you're driving home and then you're thinking, man, I could have said this and it comes to you way too late. You want to dwell on the things. You see, the reality is that those who choose not to forget tend to stay in one place their whole lives. That place of hurt or failure. That's just, that's where they're stuck. You talk to them, that's what they talk about. Like for, for instance, you, you know a person that's really bitter. You, you can sense a bitterness in someone so that when you come to them, they're immediately going to take you to another place. They're immediately going to take you, well, did you hear about what the, he did to me? Well, now they're taking, you're right here with them, but they're taking you to another time and another place. And you're like, well, did it happen right now, bro? Because I'm like standing right here in front of you. Did it happen? No, no, it happened, you know. He probably did it to you too. She probably did. No, no, like you need to move on. The Bible says in, in Colossians that we need to forgive one another. That's the releasing. You want to be released from your bitterness? Forgive. And Forgive. And forgive. But when you choose not to forgive, you become stuck at that hurt or that pain or that failure. And the reality is, is those who choose not to forget are pretty obvious. They stay in one place their entire lives, pitifully unwilling to move forward. They have a tendency to whine and complain and be miserable, tainting every new and old relationship that they have. Just like the Bible says, the root of bitterness defiles many. And it's common in the body of Christ when we are in Christ and there's no condemnation for us or for others. There are even people in their lives who have forgotten and choose to move beyond it, but the trap of the enemy has been set. And it's always there to take you back. Listen, I know that I'm speaking to some of you right now and you're wrestling with me. You're battling this concept, this truth, of forgetting and moving forward. You're arguing with me. And you might even be saying, Ed, you just don't understand. You just don't understand. I mean, if, if you would be in my shoes for a week, if you would live my life for a month, you would understand. 
Well, I'd have to admit to you that I don't understand fully the pain, the problem, the testimony, the thoughts, the hounding, the I don't understand. So there's no need to argue with me over that. I don't understand every problem in everyone's life. And that's really good news, that your freedom and mine doesn't depend on our understanding. I think I have a deeper empathy in these days with the pains and problems of people, but even my empathy will only help you get to Jesus Christ. You see, it's not whether I understand or not, because if I understood the way you understood, I'd probably hurt the way you hurt. I'd probably face the same temptations you're facing. That's where understanding would, I would, sitting in your seat, I'd probably hurt as bad, or I'd probably hurt similar to the hurt you're feeling. I'd probably be tempted with the same temptations you're tempted with. And the answer for you and the answer for me is the same. Jesus Christ has come to forgive us of all of our sins so that we can then forgive others and be free and live a life that honors and pleases him. It's okay if you argue with me, but it's a waste of time. You know, oftentimes in Bible study, when a truth starts to get close, we get defensive. And defensiveness is always a sign that something's touched you. <laughs> and you protect. It's like it's a, a, an element of self-protection. But aren't you tired of self-protecting and dealing with the same issue over and over again? Haven't you wearied of that yet? Aren't you yearning and hoping for a better day and, and a better week and a better month? And it's available to you now in Christ. That putting that, that burden on someone, like a friend has come to you with counsel or, or someone's come to you to, to share a word with you and you're like, you don't understand, you don't understand. And, and to push people away, it's okay if they don't understand. That means they're not hurting like you're hurting. Do you really want people to hurt like you hurt? Now, before you answer that, just think about it for a second. It's not the answer, of course. No, we all want healing, and we want healing for each other. We want to walk in what God has given to us. The root of condemnation in a believer's life is always tied to looking back. I mean, after all, what would the enemy condemn you of the future? You don't even know what the future is yet. It hasn't been lived out. The root of condemnation is always the past. You can't be condemned when you're looking upward and looking forward. You can't be condemned. So the enemy loves for you to look back into your past, to keep your eyes right there focused on the sin, your sin, someone else's sin, and he knows that if he can get someone to look back into their past, he knows that many of them will stay right there. And so I'm guarded even in what I share with you because I don't want to go back to the past. And neither do I want to stay there. But I have to say, many of the regrets, not most, but many of the regrets in my life were the old Ed. And the good news that the Bible says is that the old Ed is dead. And I didn't make up that rhyme. That's the way it is. I am a new creation in Christ. And like you, you didn't meet the old Ed. I didn't meet the old you. And that's probably really, really, really good news. I didn't meet your battle itself when you were in sin. And some of you I did, because that's how you walked in here, but then you got saved, so that's good. But we didn't hang out in the bars together. We didn't hang out and do stupid things together. Praise God for that. Praise God that, that there, are, there is freedom in the Lord. 
But see, condemnation is rooted in the past. And sincerely, for those of you fighting this, let me just ask you, are you really choosing to stay in your past? Do you know that how many people stay in their past, live in their past, and never discover the future? Never enjoy the presence of the Lord? Their future literally is just a few feet ahead, just a few decisions ahead, just just one decision, but they won't let go. God is telling you to let go. He's telling you to move on because you are free in Christ. Step number one, dealing with our past, forget it. Choose not to dwell on it. Number two. Number two, what do we do with our past? We forgive our past. Turn over to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. I want you to learn something from Jesus here. In Luke's gospel chapter 15, what's next? We forgive our past. Pick up in verse 11 with me, would you? Very familiar story. Let's read it so the power of God's word can minister to us. It says, a certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. Not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But, verse 17, when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I'll arise, and I'll go to my father, and will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. Verse 20, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe, put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it. Let's eat and be merry. For this is my son was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. But his older brother was in the field. And he came and drew near to the house and heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and said, what's going on? And he said, that was paraphrase. And he said to him, your brother has come and because he has received them safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. And he answered and said to his father, lo, these many years I've been serving with you. I've never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots and killed the fatted calf for him, and he said to him, son, you're always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. Forgiveness is a key to a healthy, vibrant life in Jesus Christ. What did the son do exactly? By asking for his inheritance early, the son is saying in effect to his dad, I wish you were dead. I don't want the kind of relationship that we have today. I want what's mine as if you were dead. When when, when you die, I get all this, but I want it now. And his dad gives it to him. And he chooses to live, the son does, a sinful life. He He leaves Israel. He leaves the comfort of his home. He leaves his family. 
He literally leaves his senses. And I know that some of you are praying for prodigal sons and daughters in your life today, and, and I know the prayer becomes whatever it takes, Lord, because that's what happened to this boy. Whatever it takes to bring him home, to bring her home. And in verse 20, we see that the son does come to his senses and he goes back home and he comes to his father. And if you want to recognize, you know, I know we call this the parable of the prodigal son, but if you took a pen and you circled every time the word father's mentioned, I think you would agree with me that it's actually the parable of a loving father who actually has two sons and a lot of people watching him. And this father, he receives him. He runs toward his repentant son. And yet not everyone's so willing to forgive. The older brother, he represents condemnation in this parable. The father, he is, he is forgiving. And actually, the father was ready to forgive before he ever talked to his son. He, never, he didn't wait to, for his son to explain everything. And he was rushing and running as he recognized his son had come home. But the older son, who had been faithful and working and had a, a relationship with his dad and enjoyed all the comforts and all the blessings of being with his dad, he represents condemnation. And I want you to notice that condemnation is not, number one, just rooted in your past, but number two, condemnation is rooted in unforgiveness. Unforgiveness leads to condemnation. And if you're condemned, then you're not receiving the forgiveness of Jesus Christ that's, in, that's available to you in Christ. And if you're condemning others, like the older brother, then you're not extending that forgiveness. And it's a sad, twisted way to live life that passes so quickly. If I'm in the son's place coming back to my dad, then I can't bring my past with me. Neither can I do anything to change my past. I've come to him broken because of my past. And I need to learn how to live in my father's favor because the father forgives the repentant. Isn't that just a wonderful thought? The father forgives the repentant. And you wouldn't be repentant if it wasn't for the work of the spirit of God in your life. So it's a work that begins with him and ends with him and we get to be a part of it. The very fact that you want to say you're sorry is his spirit convicting you and calling you and drawing you into the future, not the past. And the day that you say I'm sick of my sin and I hate it is the day where you agree with the working, convicting, finished work of Jesus Christ in your life. But realize, realize there's always the big brother. So you get it, you're, you're relieved, you're fresh, you're free, you come home, and dad's there, but so is your big brother. Dad is the picture of what? Forgiveness, and the big brother of condemnation. And you know, the big brother doesn't even need to be another person, although sometimes it is. The big brother could be your head. Why? Because you and I are at times unwilling to receive God's forgiveness. And let me say it. Let me put it a different way. Let me put it away where the world has twisted this phrase, so I'll, I'll explain it to you, but I want you to really receive it as simple as it is because you refuse to forgive yourself. Now, I know the world's twisted this whole thing and made it very worldly, 
And the idea is you can't love others until you love yourself. The problem is you love yourself too much. That's the problem. And that raises up pride. That's not a biblical definition. When I, when I believe, when I, I teach the, the need for you to forgive yourself, it's rooted in the truth of receiving the forgiveness of God. When you and I choose not to forgive ourselves for our own failures, there's a Bible word for that. It's called idolatry. It's called idolatry. And idolatry in its basic definition is becoming a little God of your life. So, so put it this way. When you choose not to receive the forgiveness of Jesus Christ in your life, or as the phrase I'm using, you choose not to forgive yourself, this is what's happening in the spiritual realm. You are becoming God, and you're saying this. If I was God, I wouldn't forgive myself. So I'll become God and hold it against myself the rest of my life. Instead of acknowledging that in no way whatsoever will you ever be God. And the God of the universe who created you and loves you and sent his son Jesus Christ to die for you forgives the repentant. And what's left for us but simply to say thank you. Or even if you want to use the picture, if the father runs to you to embrace you, what do you do? You take the hug (laughs) and it feels good. (laughs) Even if you can't hug back, You just kind of embrace and you go, I can't believe this is happening of everything I did to him and everything that I've been and what I did with his inheritance. You know, to receive an inheritance, not only how it worked on a personal level between him and his dad, but to to waste your, your dad's money like that on sinful living. I mean, it's just layer after layer of condemnation. And yet, what does his dad do but run to him and embrace him? And then throw him a party. And then what does it say? This is, this, this in verse 32, it's so key. The party, the forgiveness, the welcoming, the food, everything about it, the dad says, it was right that we should make merry. It's right to receive the forgiveness. It's right to forgive the past, to receive the forgiveness. Because there are always those, including ourselves, that want to focus on the bad, that want to focus on the negative. You know, you know it's very easy you know, the, like, like here in the church context, you know, just on a, on a lighter note, around the sanctuary here, we have offering boxes. Those boxes around the sanctuary are for the sole purpose of putting in your tithes and offerings and prayer requests. But you know, some people that visit here actually think that, that we have complaint boxes here. And that's what they want to use it. They, they don't offer a tithe and offering. They offer some complaint or some, you know, you could do it better. And you know, there's just people like that. There's just people like that. Perhaps you have a bent toward that. And so in a time of glorious worship, our time in seeking God's word, our time of going together, you know, we'll get a note in there that says, you know, I really don't like the carpet here. Don't look at it. I don't, I don't know what to tell you. It's, it's all we got, man. <laughs> I don't know. There's some of the things, that get, I just don't know what to tell you. I pray for you. I just pray that, man, you, what a miserable life. What a miserable way to live. You came, maybe haven't been in church forever. You finally sit in and, and you know, oh, I just don't like the way you, uh, whatever, whatever, whatever. And the Lord wants to free you. There's just people like that. The enemy loves to get us off the main thing. And sometimes we gladly uh, cooperate. 
And may the Lord help us to receive the embrace of the Father. To receive the love of the Father. You forget the past, you forgive the past. And then thirdly, how do, what do I do with my past? You forsake the past. You forsake the past. Would you turn over to, with me to Psalm 103? Psalm 103, you see the Bible gives very practical instruction to us for life. I want you to trust the Bible, church. I want you to trust the Bible for what it is. It's not only God's love letter to you revealing a loving, caring God, but it's God's manual for living life. It's his design for our lives. It's not a book of do's and don'ts. That's not God's heart for us to relate to him on a bunch of do this and don't do that. It's God's encouragement to us to live a full life. It's God's encouragement to us, like us as parents or grandparents, like we, we help our kids because we want them to have a full life. And in many ways, we want them to have a fuller life than we've experienced. I know that was very big in, in my heart and mind as I was raising my children. It was very big in my life to help them avoid the very obvious sinful mistakes that I made and to help them navigate around those temptations because there always comes an age when, in all of our kids that they're not with us anymore. That we can't be with them every day. And you, know, you, got, you young people, you high schoolers, you junior hires that are here, listen, your parents want you to live a life that is greater and grander than what they've even experienced. And it's not a list of do's and don'ts. Even though it feels like that sometimes, you know, I'm like, man, I wouldn't do that if I was you. You know, because when they're little, you just say, don't do it. And they go, oh, okay, I won't do it. But then you get to an age where you don't do it and you go, I don't care what you say. And so we have to change our tactic. Well, I wouldn't do it if I was you. Because then we start to reason. And then even reasoning doesn't work. And then we just know that the seeds that we planted in our kids from a young age, when they are old, we raise kids in the way they should go. When they're old, they won't depart from it. And even if they choose temporarily to depart for a season, we pray they get back soon because the world will kick their tail. And uh, that's a nice way of saying a lot of things that the world will do to try to destroy our lives. And we need to forsake our past. Psalm 103, verse 1. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is, in with, is within me, bless, the, bless his holy name. Verse two, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. The Lord executes judgment, justice for all who are oppressed. He's made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. Verse 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. At that point, you guys should just say a hearty amen there. This is true. As bad as it is, it could be worse. I was talking with a brother recently, one of our morning coffee shop meetings, and we were talking about justice. You know, when you feel injustice, you often have this thought of wanting justice for the other person. That's why Jesus teaches us to pray for our enemies. Don't be wishing justice on them and judgment. Let the Lord deal with that, right? 
And then, you know, we talked about that because anytime you talk about justice and you start demanding justice, just remember that when it comes to you, you don't ask God for justice. You don't want justice, do you? I don't want justice because I would be judged according to my iniquities. I would be judged according to my failures. I don't want justice. I want Jesus. And I want that for me and I want that for others. Even those that have hurt me or those that are hurting me, I want Jesus. I want Jesus to heal and change. I don't want justice. And this is not justice. He has not dealt with us according to our sins. He has not punished us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens, verse 11, above, or the earth, so great is his mercy, that's what I want, toward us, that those that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us, as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. The new living is better here. The Lord has compassion on his kids. He knows our frame. He remembers that we're dust. We need to forsake. Literally means to let it go, to let it sink or drop, the idea. Over and over the Bible says that God will not forsake you, that Jesus will never leave or forsake you. So when we think of that word, it's God will never let you sink. He'll never drop you. As Ian was sharing not too long ago about Mephibosheth, that you're secure in the Father's arms. He's not going to drop you, as Mephibosheth's nurse did. But even then, when he was dropped, what did he experience? But grace (laughs) from David later on. If you guys don't know that biblical story, go back a couple weeks and listen to Pastor Ian's message. Very powerful, very good. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in mercy. He doesn't treat us as our sin deserves. He says, I'll forgive you. I'll throw it. I'll cast it. I will drive your sin away. That's what the word remove means in verse 12. I will deal with it. As far as the east is from the west, that's, that's far. Forsaking your past, you let it sink into the sea of forgetfulness. You let it drop. You let it go. It's back there and you're right here. There is therefore now no condemnation. Right now, those who walk in the spirit. The spirit walk is forward. It's progressive. It's spiritually alive. But, but the flesh walk, the condemnation walk, is regressive and backwards and spiritually dead. And he goes, it's just not possible. It's just impossible, Ed, what you're suggesting. It's just not going to happen. It's great stuff for a sermon. Glad you put it all together in a nice, tidy, three-point message. But this is just not possible for me. Look, God is into the impossible. What's impossible with man is possible with God. And with the commands of God always come with his enablements to follow through. I think of the guy, remember, well, turn over to Luke chapter 6. Can we close there? Because we can even be overwhelmed by the impossibility. I know that many people listen to us in jail. We get quite a few letters from men and women in jail, in prison, because radio is a lifeline for them, especially the word of God. And whether you're in a physical prison today or a spiritual prison, they feel the same in many ways. And being imprisoned, especially if you're physically locked up, you know, you did something. Uh, you wish you didn't and you're there and now you've got a mark and a blemish on your record and you've got these things and that you just sit there thinking it's impossible to follow through with what you have. But even in a spiritual prison, you feel shackled and you feel held back and you feel like there's no future. 
Listen, the power of God is greater than your inability. It's greater than your talking to yourself and talking you out of steps of faith. And we see it here in Luke's gospel in chapter 6, in verse 6. This is so life-giving. And me as a, a, me, I as a pastor, all I can do is teach you the Bible. All I can do is lay it before you. All I can do is encourage you. And the gifting that God has given you, given to me, I can exhort you. And I believe if you act on it, and I believe if you believe it and you do it, that crazy, wonderful changes will take place in your life. And you will literally be free. But if you sit around just being upset and arguing with the pastor and arguing with the Bible and arguing ultimately with God, then you're going to stay in the same place that you're at and it's going to get worse. The wages of sin is always death. You can't escape it. And so when God speaks something into our lives, if we've seen it in various passages, listen, he gives the power instantly for you to, to follow through. Notice, now it happened on another Sabbath, this is Luke 6, 6, that he entered the synagogue and taught, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him closely whether he would heal on the Sabbath, that they might find an accusation against him. But he knew their thoughts and said to the man who had the withered hand, Arise and stand here. And he arose and stood. Now, first of all, I think God is very gracious to this man, telling him to do something that he could actually do. <laughs> Get up and come over here. And he had to process, process that for a second. But you know how fast your mind processes. My, mind's, my legs are fine. I can stand up and I can walk. Boom, boom. It's, it happens that fast. And he comes. And Jesus said, I'll ask you one thing, verse 9. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save or to destroy it? And looking around at them all, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. Ha, now that he couldn't do. I mean, you, you've got to understand the weight of this. Those of you that like to argue or like, you know, wrestle with truth and it's hard for you to receive. It takes a little bit of time. Maybe like Thomas, you know, Thomas had a little bit more time. He had to see something. He had to feel something. And Jesus was so gracious that you want to see the, you want to see the side, the wound on my side? Put your hand in there, bro. Go ahead. Do whatever you got to do. Like, this is true. You want to see my wounds? Great. I'm grateful he didn't rebuke Thomas. He gave him what he wanted. And so here, right between the, where it says stretch out your hand and then quotation mark and then there's a space and then the word and, do you guys see that? And that space could have been, no way. This guy doesn't know what he's talking about. My hand's been withered forever. Look at it. It doesn't move. I haven't moved this hand for years. This is impossible. I won't do it. could have been in there it's not in there but it could have been could have been another sentence could have been another three sentences we could have a, no, a whole other paragraph of the faithlessness of this man but notice what it says not what it doesn't say notice what it says stretch out your hand and read this together with me and he did so what do you mean he did so his hand was withered so think of this. There's no pause. Stretch out your hand. He did so. Just like that. Why? Because with the command, in the breath of the command of God, comes the breath of his enabling power for you to do what he tells you to do. 
It's not your strength. It's not your wisdom. It's not, it's your faith that makes you well. This is powerful to us. In those times when hope is withering up like this hand, when you're paralyzed and struggling, know this. As Jesus enters in, he's always drawn toward the one that's hurting the most. He's not so interested in all the mockers and all the game players and all the ones, oh, we're going to test him. He knows your thoughts. That can be a good feeling or a bad feeling that Jesus knows your thoughts right now. But he's always on the lookout for the one that's hurting the most. And here he found this man. And he gives the command. And it was an absolute impossibility for this man to do this. And he must have sent the signal from his brain to his hand a million times before. I don't know if you've ever lived with something that's so hurtful and so painful and so difficult that it's on your mind the second you wake up. It's on your mind the second you fall asleep. Sometimes it's so pervasive that it's, you dream about it. You can't even get away from it. You can't even rest from it in your sleep. No doubt this disability in his life was something that was always on his mind. And sure, he came to an agreement that this is how I'm going to live my life with what I have. He came to that agreement. But it doesn't mean that he didn't deal with it every day of his life. So for Jesus to come to him, dealing with something every day of his life, sending that signal, I wonder if today's the day. I wonder if today's the day. I wonder if today's today. He could have said no to Jesus. But he didn't. He decided to obey. And I believe as you purpose in your heart to obey, God will meet you in that place. We've got to learn and apply how to forget our past, how to forgive our past, and how to forsake it. And as we do in decisions of obedience, little by little, the Holy Spirit will affirm that in your life and strengthen you. So Father, I know that I have more, to, more notes than I have time. But for the sake of what we have tonight, I pray that you would give your life-giving power, you would extend your life-giving power to those that are battling their past. It could be a recent past, it could be a distant past, but past nonetheless. It's not just a tidy three-point sermon, it's life. And I pray you'd impart life to your church today, those listening on the radio, those in prison, those in jail, those paralyzed by fear and anxiety and pain and sorrow and all of that. Enable us by your command to forgive, forget, and forsake. Or forget, forgive, and forsake. Whatever order we got to do them in. And release by the power of your Holy Spirit today your life-giving power to live a life free of condemnation. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.